Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Sorry, Brad. So back to my hair. You know what I'm worried about, though, is it's been my instinct, especially any time it gets hot, just shave it off. Oh, yeah. That's what, I, that's what I used to do. Like, that was my pattern for many years, which is grow some long hair. Once I got really annoyed with it, buzz it. I lived with my brother for a little while. We used to, used to shave each other's heads. Yeah. And I, I literally didn't pay for a haircut for... Fuck, like a decade, maybe longer, you know, because who needed one? And because of that, every time it gets hot, it's my instinct to just be like, oh, let me just buzz it. Yeah. Because I want that feeling of shampooing your head after the first buzz. Like, what a wonderful (laughs) feeling touching your, like, peach fuzz. But the thing now is, like, I I don't know if it's coming back like this. (laughs) You know? I'll be 40 in November. It's like nice and long and brown kind of ish. Yeah, still. it's very nice. Dude. And I just have this weird feeling that I'm I'll shave it. And then I'm like, within three months, I'm just fucking Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Like, uh, it's just going to be straight salt and pepper or like all of a sudden the <laughs> little lines going to come in or something. Did, I, I think I'm too old to like tempt fate like that. Did you, know? you ever watch that show? bored to death on hbo i did yeah pretty funny i love that show but there's a scene where um what's his name the old guy from cheers dancing yeah ted dancing he's gotta get like i can't remember i guess he's getting like some man operation but they're gonna (laughs) they're gonna shave his pubes and he's like listen is there any way we can just leave the pubes for whatever reason i've managed to stay keep my natural color down there (laughs) it's my it's the only place in my hair is its natural color and i'm just afraid if you cut it off it's gonna come back gray and i don't know if i can handle that (laughs) that one's tough i love that show it's really funny i've actually been going back and watching cheers Oh, really? Episode one, season one. Yeah, I found it on Netflix. It really holds up. It was still good. It was a good cast, man. Listen, and Sam and Diane, I mean, right from the beginning of that show, what a classic television, uh, you know, a classic television love, love story right there. But, you know, the only I'm really I've always been really adamantly against like doctoring your body, you know, for any sort of. Uh, aesthetic reasons, you know, like I don't plan on dyeing my hair, dyeing my beard, 
or doing any or hair plugs or whatever comes into play for people when I get older. But I will say the one thing I, I never really considered it, but you know, I've always had these mud flaps, this spare tire, like my whole life, even if I'm in great shape, right. I have, I have like little mud flaps and I have never had calf muscles in my life. It's just my weird feet, the way I walk. I just right. have these stick legs with this big top. It right. never made a lot of sense to me. I'm like, I should have a lot more ass and calves <laughs> to hold this stuff up. And I think it's maybe even one of the reasons I'm not a great athlete. So I had considered, what if you just took a little bit out of the mud flap and just put a little bit into the calf, you know? It's the only thing I'd consider, uh, I think. Could get messy. You know any docs? Cheap ones? No, dude, I wouldn't let you do that to yourself. No? <laughs> You can't have the calves I've always wanted. I don't want to work for them. Dude, I know I've no I know guys who like work their asses off and they just can't build up their legs. They'll have like these intense upper bodies. Yeah. And for whatever reason, it's just genetically can't they got chicken, enough calf muscle, yeah. you know? Chicken legs is chicken legs, man. That's it. Well, and you know, for us tall characters, like our bodies break down faster, you know? We're only we're only like how many years into evolution of walking upright. Right. We're not even supposed to be doing this. Yeah. And that's the reason we all have back and knee problems because we're supposed to be crawling around on all fours. Or swimming, possibly. There's that theory. What? There's a theory that humans at one point after coming uh, after coming onto land went back. Could see it. Um, and there's all, and if you get into that theory, you, fi- you can find there's all these. They cite all these things. I think even like oh. every now and then, pe- some people are actually born with like webbed fingers, and I can't remember. There's a whole. It has to, also the hairlessness of humans, like right. it's kind of unexplained. I kind of like this because that would explain. That would actually allude to the fact that my body is evolved further. <laughs> if that's the case. <laughs> He's like, oh, you don't need leg muscles on this one, just shoulders and chest. Yeah, and that way he could swim. You're you're more of yeah, the perfect uh, aqua human. Ah, I like this. My my kids have been calling me Aquaman in our superhero fantasies recently. Oh, so good one. It's nice to have Jared on. This is a great show coming up. <laughs> that was it was fun. Very comfortable. It's just yeah. it goes just sure. all the right places. I knew Jared would be fun to have on because he's just he's a fun guy. And always has something interesting to say. It was funny how I met I met Jared, and he's just one of those people that like, you know, just stands out a little bit from the crowd when he's in one. Uh, and I met him after a Gaslight show where we opened for My Chemical Romance at the Roseland. Whoa. It was it was like a, a radio put together thing, right. not like an actual headliner for them. Um, you know, so it was, it was interesting, it, you know, um, we had a good show. Nothing really stands out too much about the show, but when we used to play New York city shows, you know, I'm the type of guy who could walk around the venue for like hours afterwards saying goodbye to every fucking person, right. anybody who worked security that night loaded the stage that night. And I'm in a 30 minute conversation. Like it happened a lot. So a lot of times in those days, I would get like a text from my wife being like, I already got the car and I'm like pulled up around the side of the venue. You come down when you're ready, which essentially means we're ready to go. Come the fuck down. (laughs) Um, 
So that used to happen a lot. And uh, I go down to my old car, which was my uh, 97 Corolla, which I love. I'd say rest in peace, but I managed to sell it for 400 bucks. She might be kicking around. She might still. be still going. Those old Corollas. She might be kicking man. out. I know. I know. I sold it with over 250,000 miles. So if it, I, but I could see it making more. But anyway, went down to the car and I had first met Jared and his, uh, his girlfriend, Casey, who I've also known for forever and like a crew of people. And I, I think it might've been like some of the old scandals guys. And it was sort of right around when they were, you know, first coming up and, I don't know. Jared just like he came out to say hi, but he just stood out to me. I'm like, he's a nice looking kid. He's just got this like kind of he's got like a good vibe, like where I'm like, I kind of like this guy. He's got like a cool thing going on, you know, he's uh, and I was just drawn to him, you know, and it was one of those weird stories that like, you know, a couple years later, we kind of wind up playing with each other and sort of in the same scene. And he's like, do you remember like at Roseland? you know, outside by the car. And I'm like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, I totally remember it. And I totally remember you and this whole connection. You know, it was like, I don't know. It was just a cool thing. And then, you know, randomly, uh, years later, you're in a band with the guy. Nice. That's how it happens, you know? <laughs> should, we, should we get into the first part of the interview? Let's do it, man. Let's listen right. to it. It's going on <laughs> are you okay I, I know this is early for you how it's long early. ago did you wake up oh what 11 11 18 minutes ago <laughs> <laughs> i knew i was i knew i was um i knew i was dancing with fate a little bit by asking you to do 11 as I know you pretty well, and I know this isn't your prime part of the day, but I just couldn't record you at like nine thirty at night after like after a drink, you know. I no, know I that's when you're the loosest, but we got things to do, Jared. You know, well, I understand, and I am I am aware of that my lifestyle is not at the world's lifestyle, and you know I have to I have to adjust according. So when did you go to sleep last night? Uh, like quarter to six. Quarter to six. Yeah. Oh my God, Brad! Imagine, yeah. imagine what your day would be like if you passed out at a quarter to six. Dude, I mean, that was my that was my life right up until I had kids. I did the full like just a one hundred and eighty degree flip over from like going to bed at six o'clock, DJing all night, and hanging out afterwards at the bar to like. Then, like, getting up at six. Yeah, I mean, it was bizarre. It's, like, it's the alarm clock that won't snooze. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's you're like, right. There's no I, nine minute button. There's just nothing. I I, I, tell use, you, I the, used that button this morning. <laughs> I tell you, the only thing I really missed from that that lifestyle was um, was like. <clears throat> My adult swim time from like one to three a.m. Just chilling oh. out with Adult Swim. I don't know why that's what I think of and remember, but it was just like my private time, even when I didn't have private that. time. Even in my craziest of party days, quarter to six was still a push for me. Like, like something had to be happening, like specifically for me <laughs> to get to like a quarter to six. 
like a party yeah. or like, you know, when you're touring in Germany early on and, you know, the show ends at like 2.30 and someone goes, ah, there's party. And then <laughs> you go there and it's like just a giant warehouse in the middle of the forest with like a thousand 18 year old Germans. It's, you know, these bizarre things. So I've seen the sunrise quite a few times in those scenarios, but I don't know, man. Even even when I was into video games and all that, like I'll just pass out with the controller in my hand by by a certain time. I just can't do it. Yeah, it's uh, it's always been kind of just like my like my easy time. So yeah, yeah. Um, like even since college, is it like Jared time? Yeah, I just like function. Like as soon as I hit I hit like midnight, I'm I'm like ready to go. So. That's like like clutch time for me. I don't know. It's just I, during the quarantine, I just slowly reverted back to the late night thing. I didn't like let it happen or want it to happen. It just did. Right. And then, uh, you know, I'm like playing tag in the morning. You know, Casey wakes up, high five. I go to bed. <laughs> right, right. So. <laughs> and the, and that's another thing. So you you live with two gigantic dogs too. Mm-hmm. When they don't harass you awake, they don't they don't fuck with you in the morning. Uh, if I like pass out on the couch, I, the, the the biggest one usually uh, gives me a nudge to go out. But it's like a nice routine. Like I get up sometimes like five, five fifteen, five thirty. Take the dogs out, let them pee, go back to bed till like noon. It's all good. <laughs> so how you been uh, handling quarantine? How's your headspace? What's your uh, what's your routine been like? I've uh, been okay. Um, I think I've enjoyed the bulk of quarantine more than most. Uh, That's good. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I have found myself like less anxious and just being able to have a schedule where I know I can't do anything else except write music and read and hang with the fam and the dogs and do all that stuff has kind of been like really awesome. Like just knowing that the time is there and it's not being structured by anybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's been rad. Uh, just been like getting up. So you've had a good, good creative output. Yeah. And it's mostly because I've been able to like, like choose that time instead of trying to squeeze it in. Uh Like, Right. In between work, in between practice or shows, or it's like I wake up, I sit down. And if it's not working that day, I just get up and do something else. And uh, we're like, in, in a week, I would really have to pick and choose that time pretty carefully, and that kind of sucks. Yeah, sure. So, just having like like last night, I I sat till I think four, playing guitar and playing this riff over and over, just trying to figure it out, and it didn't work, and I put it away. I'll wake up in the morning, try the same thing, sit down with something. And that's kind of been the routine, like just sit down in the room and play with some pedals, play with a demo I've been working on, and then get up. If it doesn't work, I'll just start doing like housework. I have like three projects going at the same time. I've kind of like been able to to uh, use time differently and manage it way better, I guess. Yeah, 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 without that extra pressure. Yeah. And and what's your, uh, how's your mental situation been? You holding up? How, how are you, like, framing this day to day? Um, 
I think it's it's worse now uh, with everything going on. You know, with everything yeah. in the world going on, where I paid more attention to the news and more attention to everything happening. Once all that the protests started started popping off and stuff, because it's just like a general anxiety fear for humanity, I guess. Which not saying the pandemic didn't, but I felt like I had a little more control over it. Yeah, like, yeah. If I stayed in the house and everyone here was good and. You know, we were, we were pretty OCD about just wiping everything and doing the doing the grocery trips right. I felt like we somehow had some control over it, um, uh, even if it was false. I guess. Well, I think almost it's it was maybe even the lack of control. Like, you know, when you're seeing, uh, you know, you have this ominous, invisible disease, you know, going around the air that the Earth just gave to you. And now you just have to kind of deal with the fallout. But when you're watching humans versus humans, which, you know, uh, includes like systematic histories you can read about, you can understand the reasons, you can have an idea that you can help in some way and you can be involved in some way. So internally, I do think it creates like an extra level of pressure. I mean, there was a... You know, I, I had the same exact experience. I even found the first couple months of quarantine at times, like, really refreshing mm-hmm. um, and kind of nice in a way. And just uh, having that time and watching this strange dystopian present kind of play out in front of my eyes was sort of, like, interesting. Yeah. But there's nothing, like, interesting, uh, you know, about watching a man be killed on video and the subsequent fallout and things like that. That's just mm-hmm. painful. So I can understand where it's a, it's a much harder thing to put into your head. I've had the same exact reaction, I think. Yeah, and I guess in the beginning, too, it, it felt like everybody against this thing. Like, everyone's right. in the same boat, everyone's on the same page. At least you, you hope everyone mostly is, is trying to get to the same goal. Um, so, so, like... The beginning of quarantine, I think just like changing my everyday routine made me realize how many things I was doing that it, it did not uh, affect my everyday life in a positive way. Right, like, right, right, right. Like so many things, whether it was just forcing myself to be more social than I wanted to be and not taking the time for myself, like realizing that was like kind of a revelation, like, oh shit, you should probably slow down and and uh put that in perspective a little bit in the future because it kind of just forced me to see that yeah I feel, you you get fomo right i get fomo in the sense of like <laughs> yeah it, it's it's one of those things where it's mostly just about i'm worrying if i'm being a good enough friend or if i'm supporting it right, enough. right right like Especially with going to shows and like yeah. supporting bands and seeing everything and being a part of what what anyone would call a scene in, in the area. Yeah. It's just, it's all that. It's like just, you realize how much time you spend worrying if you're doing the right thing and spending your time right. And then all of a sudden you're forced to just have time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. In a confined space. And I that was kind of beautiful for me, I guess. That's been a funny part of touring with you for me is like, I feel like you carry the same punk rock scruples. 
I had in my late 20s, you know, this like idea that all five bands on the show, I got to stand up there and make sure that I'm watching and they see me to, to because this is part of the etiquette. This is part of yeah. the punk community that we all, you know, uh, put ourselves into. And I know someone like you who takes their values really seriously. It's a hard thing to let go of and be viewed in a different way or something. So I, I went through the same exact thing. And, and I feel like sometimes I was in like a time machine a little bit watching you operate on tour because I'm like, oh, this was me. And now I'm just old and I don't care as much. Um, <laughs> so you're you're from a place called Bayonne, New Jersey. I know it's very familiar to us. Mm-hmm. Well, only recently familiar to me, uh, but you know, not very familiar to the outside world. Even someone who grew up maybe half hour away from Bayonne, all I knew of that town was the guy who Rocky was fashioned after was from there and the not a surf popular video was filmed at the high school. And that's about that's about all I knew until I met you guys and this whole crew of very proud Bayonne people. So can you explain to those who don't know just what that place is? Bayonne. It's a peninsula. <laughs> uh, three by three miles by one mile or something like that. Yeah. Uh, in the heart of North Jersey. Uh, it's a strange place. It's a city that's, that's only has two ways in or out. And you can tell by all the people that are here forever. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's a it's a wacky place. I was I feel grateful to have grown up here because it is very different than cities and suburbs throughout New Jersey, and it's diverse as hell and a bunch of wackos here. And yeah. uh, I hate it as much as I love it because I've been <laughs> here for so long. But uh, it, it's got this weird thing that. I think everyone everyone fucked with it for so long. It was kind of like the butt of every joke, even movies right. and TV and sure. stuff like that. So I think everyone got like a thick skin and was like, yeah, you, you can't can't talk shit until you've been here. So everyone everyone takes a little unnecessary pride in Bayonne, I think. But it's a cool <laughs> place. It's cool. Food's good. Some of the people are cool. Now, I know. So you say it's only one way in, one way out. I know the one way out is going to Staten Island. Mm-hmm. And the one way in is coming from pretty much, what, Jersey City, I guess. Yep. So those are strange places to be sandwiched in between. Now, what was the history? Is like like all Italian immigrants, Irish immigrants, or just like your old New York City cesspool of everyone? Yeah, I think it was a, a pretty big mix, but there were sections of town that were very specifically Polish, very specifically Italian. Right. And Irish, um, a lot of Polish though, and they are. And then now it's it's a lot of uh, like Egyptians, Dominicans, and stuff like that. It's really like one of the craziest, diverse, tiny little spots. Like it's not big, and you can have you have every single person represented in this town. It's bizarre. That's and a fact. Our graduating class was like over a thousand kids. So, wow. kind of wow. yeah, you got you got every yeah. It's huge. Um, I didn't realize it was so big. I thought it was just this dinky little 
chip down there. But I mean, to get from the entrance of Bayonne to get to where Jared lives, you basically go to one end of the peninsula to the other. I, I didn't realize Bayonne was so long either till I had to start going to Jared's house. And I was like, oh, oh no yeah, way. this place is fucking far. Jeez. Uh, yeah. And there's and then, no open space at any point on the on the peninsula, so you could see how that many people live there. Yeah, now, that's, that's I know you love you love the food. I know mm-hmm. this is something you you tout all the time. And you just had your thirtieth birthday, and you told me you were doing a little tour de Bayonne of all your favorite spots. So, what did you hit that day? Like, what's the necessary fare? I believe it was Friday night. We did Pizza Masters, <laughs> yeah. Which out of the forty pizza places in Bayonne has been <laughs> right. my my go to my entire life. Little grandma pie, little meatball sandwich on the side. Everyone shares mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. It's good. Antipasto. <laughs> pizza masters is clutch. When I come home from tour, it's like the first thing. That's the spot. Done. And then uh, we do the Mexican spot, Aguila Dorada, which is I will fight anybody that it's top five best Mexican I've had in my entire life in the whole country. Wow. That's a lot yeah. to say in New Jersey, too, after you've eaten out on the West Coast. It is awesome. Um, that's my spot. I'm very grateful that that spot exists because it is not often that we get, like, a good, local, authentic Mexican place that's it's that true. good. Yeah. So, grateful for it. Um, what else did we do? There's this, like, awesome bakery in town called Double Batch that's, like, so rad that does... Like, it's, like, the whole family in there. They have the kids in there all the time. Like, and it's, like, we've always had the traditional Polish bakeries and stuff in Bayonne that are, you get the, you walk in and every one of them kind of feels the same, like, pretty old school. Right, right. And the spot's just doing, like, wild shit, like, crazy combos of cupcakes and stuff. Their menu changes every day. So that place is cool. There's, like, a lot of good spots that I think people, everyone would appreciate. I mean, the diner's fine. It doesn't have the world's best pancakes. Everyone <laughs> says that they are not. But uh, Bayonne, I've been wanting to make a shirt for, for forever. It says Bayonne, at least, at least the pizza's good. You know? <laughs> I feel like I got to get through there now. I mean, it's fucking, it's closer than Staten Island, man. It's like. Come like, hang anytime. You're literally Honestly, a stone's yeah. throw from me, man. It's a really interesting place. And the closest thing I can compare it to is kind of those like Brooklyn or Queens neighborhoods that are off the subway. Right, right. You know, like when it act- when people actually live there and the people who live there live there their entire lives. Right. Um, that's the closest thing I could compare it to. But it is a really unique place. And I say that because I've met some exceptionally unique people <laughs> from Bayonne in the last five to ten years. And there's kind of this underlying thread of like misery meets pride with all of them, you know, where they all tell these insane stories about coming up and things that happen where I'm like, what was this? Was this fucking John Wayne's wild West? Like, like from these stories I hear. Um, but, but at the same time, no one will leave. Well, I mean, mean, originally it must've, the, the residents must've really been associated with like the ports and stuff. Right. Cause it's just, yeah. Um, I mean, regardless of how big the neighborhoods are, like, there's just the most massive, like, docks and ports kind of surrounding it, right? Yeah, that's a big part of it. And there was a ton of, like, industrial stuff down here. Right. Um, 
a lot of factories. There was like food pro- huge food pro- processing plant that was like the whole downtown used to work for. Um, there was a bunch of stuff and there's a ton of history with that of how people just ended up here. Um, but just its access to everything like North Jersey, when everything was getting built, you know, every, everyone was coming in from here. So between the ports and the ton of factories, there's like IMTT still. Um, most of them are gone, but it was very much that working class immigrant community of people just coming here to, to hustle and work. Um, and you can still feel that like, yeah, you really can. And I think that's one of the weirdest things is like feeling a generational, uh, footprint everywhere. You know, there's still a lot of, a lot of evidence of that where, I mean, they're trying to make it like a new Hoboken and a new Jersey city, just cause yeah. I think they've ran out of places to put houses in those places. Right. Um, which is weird because I feel like they're forcing that hand on yeah. a town that's not ready to do it yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 going to be put in, in the next ten years. It's it's going to be interesting to see what what everyone does with this place because I think they have the chance to either either do good things and use like an in, influx of people of new people to kind of do the, do better for the town they don't you know like it's just they're not putting enough into the community and into yeah, yeah. things for people to do and things for right they're just weird. banking Every, on the light rail and commuters and that's it really yeah and it, once you get here sometimes you're kind of if you don't know what's going on you feel like you're kind of in limbo land but yeah i see those condos sprouting up in bayonne and it almost feels like like a plastic tree you know, in the middle of a forest. Yeah. Like it, it really just doesn't fit. And there, yeah, there's a strange mix there. I don't think it's going to work, especially since, you know, they're building these in the middle of Bayonne. You still, you want to ride the light rail all the way to the path and get into the city. That's still a fucking journey. It's a haul. <laughs> that light rail is slow as hell. Yeah, the slowest thing ever. Now, didn't you have, so Chuck Wepner is from Bayonne, right? Yes. The, the guy who uh, they modeled Rocky after. Didn't you have like a little like personal run-in with Chuck Webner at some point? Uh, my grandfather was friends with him. Right. So, like we would see him at family stuff. Like, like uh, my grandfather used to run a, a sports reunion every year for all the old guys. <laughs> right. So like I would always go to it. I'd be like the one young kid. So there'd be like 200 like old dudes telling like glory days story. Just like like Bayonne high school sports or something beyond that. It was all Bayonne, so everyone okay. played in either like like CYO leagues or whatever, all the way through high school. So anyone who ever played in Bayonne at all, um, and they would come, they would literally come from Florida, like Cal, ever they would fly in for this sports reunion every year. And some of them went to you know NFL majors over over time. Like we had a friend. <laughs> My grandfather had like a really close friend, Dick Berdowski, who pitched for the Red Sox in okay. the 50s and stuff. So he would like fly from Massachusetts for this thing. And so Webner, so Webner was an athlete. Yeah, he was a boxer. So he was a boxer all the way back in high school. What did your grandfather say about him? Cool guy? Uh, I, I never really got to like, he was friends with him. He was, everyone was my grandfather's buddy. He was like, loved it. We would say like these people don't know him, you know. Everyone's <laughs> friends. Oh my, right, my right. friend, this guy, this guy. And we're like, yeah, you're making this up. 
And then we'd show <laughs> up somewhere and, and that guy would be the same way. Like, oh, Jack, my, my old best friend. And you're like, these Bayonne dudes, it was great. they wouldn't see each other for like 30 years and they would have this like bond still. Right, right. Being from here and this, when I, hundreds of dudes used to come to this. And it's sad, like every year, you know, there was less and less until right. it ended up stopping. But when I look at that in perspective and think about all these people like coming every year to tell these stories to each other over and over again, it was pretty cool. But Chuck would always come. You see him around town still. He still drives like the Lincoln or Cadillac. Says champ on the license plate. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's pretty rad. It's like he's always been cool to me. Anytime yeah. I've run into him, just go. With does he wear the Rocky hats? Does he rock fedoras? Uh yeah, he does. <laughs> so that's real. Yeah, it used to be. It used to be crazier in the seventies and stuff. But uh, like full, you know, like the long coat and everything. Yeah. Um, how cool. Dude, he yeah, fought he Muhammad pretty... Ali. Did you know that? Oh yeah. Damn. <laughs> yeah, the big Probably. legend on if on if he tripped him or not because he knocked right. him out. Oh, really? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, there's a picture. I think I have one laying around of it. Fine, where he's you can kind of see he's kind of stepping on his ankle, but I, you know, I'm from hey. Bayonne, so he he knocked him down. You get Muhammad Ali on his back, you know. You gotta take credit for it. <laughs> however, however, you got it done. You know, Damn. that's yeah. That's I'll, good. I'll, Ali lit him up after though, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty good. Um, yeah. So this actually ties in perfect. Wait, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just the whole Rocky thing. Like people don't believe that. It's, it was just this Polish dude who, who took a good beating from Bayonne, New Jersey. Like got the hell kicked out of him and, and went until they stopped the fight. And that's how they based this whole franchise off of. Like Stallone yeah. basically like stole his life. So he's literally like had, just had like an iron jaw, essentially. Like he could just take a beating was was like his biggest attribute as a fighter. Yeah, I guess iron jaw, but terrible cheekbones because they split open every time he got hit. Oh. That's why they, they called him the Bayon Bleeder. That's why. Uh, so he'd just be covered in blood, but then would go like all twelve rounds, or in, in those days, who knows, like fifteen he rounds. He went fifteen with Ali, dude. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and he would have kept going, but they called it. Oh, jeez. Gotta yeah. respect people like that. Well, give it up for Chuck. How do you think Liv Schreiber did in the film? I, you didn't like the film, right? You know, it was it was weird to hear him multiple times like turn to the camera and go, you know, that's just how it goes in Bayonne. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, like, aren't like, you from Europe, guy? Yeah. There was just so many things of like, yeah, I know, I do know how it goes in Bayonne, but like, why are you telling me? <laughs> right, 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 right. Like, like it's like that's the, the, the like all the all the music stuff. You know, that's just how things go in Bayonne. And I'm like, does everyone <laughs> else know that? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> I feel like he has that blanket accent too, where it's just kind of like blanket northeast. Like his Ray Donovan is pretty <laughs> yeah. close to his Chuck Wepner, you know. Yeah. It's just like he he had that. So so since we're on Bayo now, uh, do you are you familiar with the segment Mystery Friend? I am. Okay, I found a good mystery friend, and I heard a great story that I need to get some insight on. Okay. 
So oh, man, I know I know your excited voice, and you sound a little yeah. I'm, I'm, a little I'm pretty worked up. This is fun. Um, so I guess the story I need has to do. I'll let you explain the story, okay? Where does the phrase "I love PF" spray painted in Bayonne come from, and how did it get there? Oh man, that's pretty good. Uh, so I need the story first about right. this pink flamingo and whatever happened with this. This is a few stories rolled into one. <laughs> uh, pink flamingo. So I had a, a 95 Honda. That was my first car. It was my sister's old car. And Love a Honda. That was great. It was civic. It was so, so good. Um, and like, I would just like take it and we would drive around, go wherever. And there was one time I, I had to be the summer that we just loaded up the car and we were like, let's just drive down the shore and go to Wawa. We just do like, we would just drive to go to Wawa. It's ridiculous. <laughs> and this was before. Uh, yeah. Cause people don't know that Wawa was strictly like a Philly South Jersey thing. We did, we did not have Wawa's in central and North Jersey. Yeah. The closest one for a while was Matawan. So yeah, we would, we would just. I can't even believe that we would do that. But uh, <laughs> so we were like, yeah, let's row to Wawa, whatever. So we end up driving all the way down to like Lavalette. And we're just like, okay. driving around, listening to music, the windows down. And um, we're just kind of cruising. And someone says, well, we can't just go home empty handed. Like we need like a souvenir of like the trip. Like we drove, we drove all the way down here. Someone says something stupid. So I'm like, I don't know, just grab like a pink flamingo off someone's lawn or something. So we're driving around and we're down the shore and we're like, how is there no pink flamingos anywhere? <laughs> they just don't. We were like, we were in Lavalette, like every, all these like the cabanas yeah, this, and everything. Is this I'm what like, you people do? Yeah. Yeah. And there's derelicts driving around trying to steal your pink flamingo. And <laughs> we must have drove around for like an hour. And uh, I got into an argument with my friend about where we were. He's like, you're lost. You got to turn here. And I'm like, nah, I'm cool. And I turn down a dead end and he's like yelling at me. He's like, see, and I pull in a driveway. This is going to watch this, like get me arrested. I pull in a driveway and the whole house is hundreds of flamingos on the wall. <laughs> like ceramic ones, plastic ones, metal ones, like huge eight foot ones, tiny ones, like real ones. No. Insane. Yes, exactly. Pink yeah. ones, purple ones, everywhere. <laughs> so I'm like, holy shit, this is wild. So I pull down the block and we send our friend Nick Murata, who I'm assuming is the one that told you the story. Uh, it's either him or Jorgensen, I'm not sure. So we're like, Nick, go run and grab this thing, right? So he runs. We just, I'm like, get the smallest, stupidest little thing you could see. It's tchotchke thing. <laughs> he comes running back with a full life-size ceramic flamingo <laughs> that was from his feet to his chin and he's carrying it with his legs bowed out because it's so heavy and i'm sitting in the driver's seat like oh my god like this is like this is this is how this is gonna go like this is how i get arrested like so he hops in the car he's laughing hysterically like it's so funny and i'm like we just gotta get out of here and a car pulls out oh, of no. the driveway down the block <clears throat> and this is now that I'm telling you that this was winter because we were down in like Lavalette and there was no one there. Like that's yeah. why I remember it being so dead. 
So Stu pulls out, and I'm like, holy shit. Now, my Civic's an automatic. It is not a manual, and I am not a race car driver. Right. But in that moment, I channeled the best Jeff Gordon I could, and I just book it. I'm like, all right, well, we got this thing now. So it turns into like this 10-minute thing of me, like, this dude tailing me, like, full speed tailing me. Whoa. Do you know, was he driving? Was pickup? What was he driving? It was a truck, like like an SUV or a pickup. The window's real high. Lights real high. Yeah, and I'm like, is this a cop? Like, who is... And I'm like, he didn't put the lights on. And so some somehow he disappears and we end up on the highway on like 35 or something. Everyone's laughing. Like, oh my God. And I'm like, what are we doing with this? Like, <laughs> I, I'm like, I'm bringing it back. Like, what are we yeah. doing with this? Yeah. And so I see a car start flying up the left lane. And it's late now. It's probably like 1231 in the morning. And I'm like, this isn't good. And then it slides behind me uh. and turns the light on the cer- like the searchlight. And so now I'm like, I'm, I'm fucked. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was like, not only is, are, are we out here? I probably was on a provisional license. Like this dude stole like something actually worth money that he's going to have to like do whatever for someone call. So I'm, I'm bugging. My mom was going to murder me. And, and, uh, I like, yo, just like to throw it on the floor or something. So we're just in silence. There's no, it's just this light going back and forth in the car. And then I just yank the car off the highway and put it, go down a residential. And as I start going down this block, the cop turns around. Okay. I'm like, holy shit. Like, did we just maybe go out of his jurisdiction? Like, I didn't know what happened. Yeah. So we pulled down a cul-de-sac and I just was like, you're getting this thing out of the car. Like it's happening. Get this out. (laughs) So we just dump it on someone's lawn. I mean, this thing was huge. Whoever like woke up and saw this thing on their lawn was not (laughs) soaked on it. (laughs) So... <laughs> we're driving the whole way home and I, everyone is shook. Like everyone's like, yo, like we're going to jail. Like no joke. <laughs> Nick's in the back, like starting to realize how dumb that was. And then someone's like, yo, we could have kept it. <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm like, really? You're putting me through that. So that became like a running joke about the pink flamingo. Right. Shouldn't have bailed on it. <laughs> it just became this thing. And then there was a couple more weird in- instances of, of, the pink flamingos and the, the letters PF coming up. But later on, we ended up, I think we played a show at the lanes scandal. Okay. okay. And all of Bayonne used to roll out and like roll so deep. So we end up coming home that night. Everyone's like all like juiced up on victory and adrenaline. So we stay out at the AMP till six in the morning, sitting behind the supermarket. <laughs> and uh, that's right on the bay. And there used to be a train bridge that went across to Elizabeth that the train went off the tracks. That's a whole crazy Bayonne history story. But uh, there's like this whole back area by the bay back there with these like formations, like these rock formations that were part of the bridge. And then there's a thing that used to be, I'm assuming like a coal or a water dump that would go into the engine or something, but it's out okay. in the water. It's yeah. like way out there. And it's this weird industrial fixture that looks like part of the Pulaski Skyway just in the bay. And so we're there at like five in the morning or four in the morning. And my buddy Nick is like, yo, I'm going to go out there. And he has this raft. I don't know if he like (laughs) went and got this raft. And so Nick Murata got in this raft in the middle of the night, (laughs) rode himself out to this metal structure 
pitch black, climbs up the top of it, all the way to the top of this thing, and spray paints PF with a heart on top of it. <laughs> Which, to this day, when I see it, I'm like, either, how is he, was he not maimed while doing this? Like, this, it's a very sketchy structure in the middle of the bay that he's Magellan's his way out to. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, it just became this running thing where, like, we would see it, people would see it, and be like, what the hell is that? Like, it just behind the AMP. You'd see and it's still there. Run. It's still there. It's, it's faded. So how but old it's, is it? How old is that hit up? It's got to be like eight years now, maybe nine years. <laughs> nice. Good run. More <laughs> than that, maybe. In such a strange location, you've never gotten crossed out. Who, who, what other graffiti writers are, are going out on rafts? I would it would be nothing but respect to go cover that one up. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, uh, we had, we had people with doing lookout down the block, like making sure no one came. It was very so dumb. good, man. Such what, dumb what was Nick? What was Nick like after his journey back? Like he does that, obviously in the dark, has to climb down, get back on the raft, and make his way back to you guys. What was he very? Uh, feeling like accomplished or just kind of like ho-hum about it he's very humble yeah he's a very humble person low-key guy yeah uh i think he might have been a little soggy i think maybe one or two one leg might have been a little soggy (laughs) okay uh but other than that yeah i think he's pretty proud of himself it was a pretty big accomplishment i don't know how he did it physically Uh, i'm still wondering where the raft comes into play like, how did you just have one? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't know if he had it at his house. So the thing was, so Nick, we're talking Nick Murata, right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So the craziest thing about growing up in Bayonne was Nick Murata, he lived in a two-family house, parents upstairs, his aunt and uncle downstairs. His aunt and uncle moved out when we were in high school, and they gave Nick the key, and they said, hey, Nick, you and your friends like hang out in here for like this, a month in the summer until until they rent the place. Okay. This turned into us having a first floor apartment of a house for like five years. Oh shit! <laughs> like, of we no, no one had cell phones, no one had anything. They just knew every Friday, Saturday night, everyone would be at Nick's house. Okay, so it became this like commune of people, and it was right at the time when everyone was figuring out who they were, especially among music. Like we had so many bands in Bayonne that were so dope, like hardcore bands, punk bands, and everyone hung out together and we would hang out, blast music. You know, everyone had like the older cousin or something that would do the liquor store runs out to Jersey city. And we would have these parties. But like, when you think back on it, no one was, everyone just knew where to go. You show up at any hour and just know there were going to be people there. And, it became like a citywide thing where kids from uptown would be coming down and we met all these other people. And it was just really like chaotically beautiful thing that we all had a, a unifying place. And we ended up like having shows there that were insane, like in the living room. <laughs> That's awesome. In a residential, you could reach out the window and touch the neighbor's house. Ah. That's how close they were. And the cops never came. Wow. 
like Nick would go around and like talk to every neighbor and be like, you're more than welcome to come. We're going to cook food outside. Cool. Cool. You know, like the kids, kids would come running through the yard. We'd all be hanging with them. And no, never did anyone call on us. And it was just like such a wild thing to grow up with knowing it, especially with Manhattan, you know, we would start taking trips to the Lower East Side and people would be borrowing cars and sneaking out and driving everywhere. But we had this like little thing where we could all kind of grow together and share thoughts and ideas and music and movies. And, and when I look at it, it was like such a positive thing of, of just free creative space. It's so and cool. And, yeah. It's, and you had it. What's cool is you had it in the shadow of like what was going on in New York city too. You know, like all those, all the punks and the kind of, you know, houses and apartments they were all squatting into and the little communities they were developing for themselves. And you guys had your own, your own version of it out in Bayonne. It's pretty awesome. And it, and it felt like it, you know, like, right, right. It really felt like it. And I mean, the bands, I was thinking about this the other day, I was talking to some friends and I really think that if a lot of the bands that were going on then either like continued on past a certain point or just like put one foot forward a little bit harder. I really think Bayonne, excuse me, could have been a, a, a tour stop. I really think it could have been like an important, like a Gainesville, like a small place that huh. people knew that there were going to be good, tight club shows there. You know, like the Melody Bar used to be. I really think it could have been uh, an important thing like that and it just you know it didn't happen but there was at one point where there were five or six or seven bands going on at the same time that all ripped hard and, well, maybe, uh, maybe this could be your uh you know your second coming now that you're 30 you know you had that chance when you were younger and now maybe you can be the old man who starts some little some little venue in bayonne and gets it all going again you know Oh, God, it sounds horrible. <laughs> you just got to put on the old leather, maybe cut the hair a bit. You'll be fine. You'll fit right back in. Working in so many venues, man, the <laughs> thought of actually opening and running one just I gives know. me agita. Yeah, it was, it was my dream when I was, you know, like, because, you know, before I had any conception that I'd be a professional musician, I, I thought I was going to be a professional promoter, you know? Mm. Um and it, if you asked me when I was like anywhere from like 16 to maybe even younger, like 15 to 20 and said, what do you want to do? I'd say I wanted to open a venue in New Brunswick and I wanted to like have like a really awesome communal all ages type of venue in New Brunswick. And after doing like some scratching and some looking into what it takes and talking to other people who tried it and stuff like that, I quickly kind of went to like, oh, no. That's a horrible thing to do with your life. Yeah. And that will never work out. <laughs> yeah. Especially now, unless you have, you know, the backing of a uh, live nation or some major realty group or some fucking hedge fund, you're never going to get over the hump. So, mm -hmm. so actually I just talked, talked you out of the secondary dream. I just proposed to you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really has to be one of those perfect storm scenarios where I think yeah. you have to have, uh, a building or bar or restaurant, something like that, that has that all built in already. And yeah. you have an owner that's crazy enough to just let you that's it. Yeah. run with something. And there have been a couple times over the last 10, 15 years in this town that I've, 
I've, I've started to feel like I've gotten somewhere with like a bar owner or something where I'm like, this could be it. Like, this, yeah. could, like, this could be the spot, like that, the tour spot that everyone, and then it just, you know, it didn't work. It's some, get every, greedy or something. Yeah. Every town needs a Bobby, like from the core tavern, you know, for real. Who's next? I don't know. I don't know who's next. Maybe Who I would have said that crew with the golden cicada, but they finally shut down. Uh, <laughs> really? Close up. Yeah, yeah. That's a, a great bar in Jersey City for anyone who doesn't know. There's an old Asian couple um, who ran it. Uh, they only served that one beer, Shing Sai, or whatever that Sing one. Sing Hao? Yeah, that was the one only beer you could get there. I didn't know that. Um, they did karaoke and they had these like taped up old mics. And in order to do karaoke, they would just uh, YouTube it. They had a computer hooked up to the TV and they would, <laughs> they would run a YouTube on the TV for karaoke. And then also they had this weird shot um, that was some sort of like uh, fermented sake or something. It was really pretty potent stuff. And if you did a shot of it, you actually got a golden cicada necklace to wear around your neck that you got <laughs> to yeah. bring home. I mean, that place to me had the, I was like, oh, okay, we could do something at the golden cicada. But this, the city ate him up, you know, this gentrified city ate him up. Did it end up being like eminent domain or something? Like what, what's the deal with it? I don't know. You know, like even St. Peter's prep, the high school behind it had to make their football fields only 90 yards as opposed to a hundred because the golden cicada would not let them edge yeah. into their property <laughs> at all, which oh, is the greatest fucking thing, you know, especially this really like well-to-do private school that I know you have a personal beef with, right? Rivalry. Um, Hard. Yeah, yeah. From baseball, what, what baseball? When you were a kid, you had a beef with them. Baseball, the overall Bayonne like public school first. Oh, you're going to you going to St. Peter's. Yeah, all right. So it was like I get it. What's up, private school kid? It was just really I, that. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> you get a you get a beef a little bit. Sure. <laughs> they come back, you know. They come back on the light rail after school, thinking thinking like you know, are you better than me? Dressed up, you got like a nice tie on. Yeah. <laughs> what? You got out of school two weeks before I do? Are you kidding me? <laughs> they just do whatever you want in Catholic school? I see it. I still walk by those kids and I it's just my natural like class warrior thing. I have no idea where these kids are from, what their backgrooms like. I mean they're fucking kids. You know, I probably yeah, shouldn't judge them at all. Yeah. But, <laughs> but like sometimes I'm down there, I'm at like Milano's down in Montgomery. I'm like, you know, I just want an early eggplant parm today or something. And and all of a sudden this sea of just you know, I don't know, they do. They they just scream privilege. It's like they all I don't know if it's their little ties. Or the fact that their hair looks nice and that, like, oh, I'm like, this kid is naturally going to get more girls than I've ever been able to get in my life. It might just be jealousy, but I do. I have the same thing. Even as a grown adult, I see those kids. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. We'd be down 7-Eleven, like, you know, kicking rocks and shit, buying Lucy's. These kids be coming off the light rail talking about hedge funds. <laughs> Talk about it. Talking about what stocks they're shorting this week. I see you really haven't gotten over it either. That's what I love about you, Jared. <laughs> it's funny because like one of my best friends in the entire world, this, the kid who I started the scandals with when we were 13 years old, went to prep 
Right. And that was kind of what, like, in, I was like, really, dude? You're go- like, you're leaving us? Like, <laughs> <laughs> fucking sell really? And still, like, I'll still bust the balls about it. Like, I feel like this week we, we had a back and forth about prep or something. That's funny. So anyway, you, you early on in the mystery friend story about the pink flamingo, you did say it was Nick Murata or Nick Jorgensen. You were correct that it was Nick Jorgensen. Nicky the neck. The big neck. And he came through because your damn little cousin fucking blew it. Okay. I was trying to get a story from cousin Sean you know, something about you with like Liberty Spikes at Thanksgiving or something funny like that. And he's just like, oh, I got nothing, dude. He came. That's, that's my guy. What's going on with him out there, you know? Uh, anyway, so it was Nick Jorgensen, bass player for Mercy Union, who luckily gave me this story in the midst of having a very long line at the coffee shop this morning. So thanks, Nick. You're a good what guy. What a beautiful person. He's, he has been by far the most pleasant surprise to me being in Mercy Union. That's a fact. You know, right. it's, well, it's like, you know how it goes. Like, you, you enter situations with people you don't know, and I'm always confident that I can play music with people and coexist with people and be in a room with people and have no problem. Like, that's not a big deal for me. But to at, like, in your mid to late 30s, actually meeting somebody that you are actually interested in having a real friendship with doesn't always happen, you know? You're right. Um, so that was, it was, it was like an extremely pleasant surprise to me to be like, Oh, I really like this guy. And I'd actually like to be his friend. Um, which is cool. So that makes me really happy. Yeah. And that was all you baby. Uh, they own love. It is. That's, that's what I'd say. You fuckers never get out. <laughs> Even if you well, leave, you don't really leave, and you certainly don't go too far. Um, so speaking of old Bayonne, you know, I know I don't want to get into scandals because that was a, a long thing that you could obviously talk forever about um, and still going. I mean, like almost 15 years later. But I, I wanted to talk to you about, like, your shift in mindset going from, like, you know, a strictly punk band where you, um, you know, I think you saw the scandals and especially the shows as like sort of a gregarious release for people, um, mm-hmm. didn't want it to be like a heavy situation. So, so how did your, your shift in mindset go from like going from the scandals to like, you know, playing on your own, playing acoustic and then, and then eventually like Mercy Union and stuff? Um, I think ultimately it started as necessity. Um, right. When in 2012, like it's a, it, we all, everyone that was originally in the scandals, we three of us went to college, right. um, and everyone graduated. And in 2012, we, you know, we had done our first tour. We did all all this stuff. We bought the van. We went out to punk rock bowling. We were doing a lot of like weekend warrior stuff while we were in college. Right. And then I had the first month of touring booked in September of 2012, like the full month. We had like two weeks with our buds from Boston and then, uh, two weeks with fucking gutter mouth. And, uh, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> yeah, which is a story in itself. Gutter but, um, mouth. I toured with gutter yeah. mouth a long yeah, time ago. <laughs> I thought you were, yeah. I thought you were going to chime in right there, Brad. <laughs> I love I had a guy. feeling. 
Anytime, anytime a '90s, '80s, or '90s <laughs> punk band comes up, all of a sudden Brad's like, "Hi!" Uh, <laughs> I probably caught him on the back end of all those yeah, tours, so I'm yeah. sure we could meet in the middle. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so we all graduate, and then halfway through the summer, maybe not even, it was closer to the, closer to the tour in like August. Uh, everyone, one by one, kind of told me they quit and huh. took jobs, and I had no idea they were going on interviews and doing all this stuff. So I was kind of left with like either canceling everything or figuring it out. And oh, they quit knowing these tours were booked. Yeah, full, Jeez, full knowing. Not cool. Um, yeah, it sucked. But it was one of those things that just when you, when I look at it, it was just terrible communication between like image all of us immature kids, you know, that didn't yeah, know how yeah. to break this news. Sure. And. But it happened in the same week. Like, like one came to me one day, the other came the other, whatever. So, um, I ended up. I was like, I can't cancel this stuff, so I have to find fill-ins. So we did fill-ins for the Guttermouth tour, and then there was like four days in between the Guttermouth and our the Burning Streets tour, and I had a whole different lineup learn the set again. Wow! Which that lineup was Pauly, okay, and Sean. And okay. Anthony. Gotcha. And neither of which had ever played in a room together until <laughs> right. the, the first show when everyone met each other for the first time. Wow. So including the merch guy, I was the only person that had ever met any of them. That's crazy. Yeah. And we went on a two and a half week tour together. <laughs> like got in the van with like real world. Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> not only did we not know like barely who each other were like in hangout sense, like we'd never even come close to living with each other, you know? Yeah. And that ended up being the lineup until now, like still. And now, and and hearing that story from the outside in, I mean, these are four major personalities. Like these, these, none of them are just like, yeah, I'm cool. Like they are all (laughs) major personalities for sure. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, you've seen it firsthand, but uh, it's one of those crazy things that I was, I was very fortunate that it happened, but it also made me realize like how, hard it can be in a band to just not just be on the same page all the time but almost like feel like you're forcing people to go along with like your thing your dream yeah, your sure. whole vision um and as much as i as as a teenager was like no i'm fucking right all the time like <laughs> you can't like it's not who wants to be in a band with people that aren't right there with you like in that in the sure. trench with you yeah, yeah. and um, that's when like I, I played a I, someone must have asked to play like a solo show somewhere and I was I realized like the songs can translate pretty well if I like spend some time and figure it out and it became this thing where I was like I want to prove to everyone that I want to tour 24-7 like I want it to be visible that I want to eat the shit and be on the road constantly so I would just book solo tours just just to stay busy and active and um, just kind of prove how badly I wanted it. Right. And uh, it gave me that ability to to be flexible and be able to hop on different bills and just hop in the car and go out for a week. And it's a lot easier in a Honda to fill the tank than it is in, in, a, in a Chevy Express, you know? Right, right. So a couple bad shows, you get a couple good, good ones. You fill the tank in three days. It's, it, it, it helps. So it kind of like 
came out of necessity of like, if I can't rely on everybody else, I'm going to do it myself. But then like over time I realized like songs I was writing, just a, a handful of them didn't fit the mold of the, the fast, fun, let's have a party punk band. Right. Right. And, uh, and I'm grateful that I had that outlet to explore those options. And I kind of did the solo record as a, it, I did all those songs as, as a form of therapy. They were never supposed to come out. You know, right. they were kind of all, all about these specific events that happened in my life. And, and that, were those like the first songs where you were really using like, you know, your personal admissions about life and really like, was that the first time you really started like peeling back the onion for, for people to hear? Uh, I think the depth of that it was, yes. Like, I, li- I actually listened to the first Scandals record. It was the 10 year of it this week, which was bizarre. Oh, wow. And, cool. Yeah. Um, I think it was the same day as American Slang. I think it was American Slang, our record, and White Crosses all came out on oh, June yeah. 15th, yeah, 2000. Yeah. Um, which is insane. Uh, Scandals record heard by a fraction of the others. <laughs> but <laughs> with good reason. Yeah, it's one of those where it's... Uh, it's like for a time and place, it's so funny to put it in perspective. And I was listening to the lyrics and I was like, this is an 18, 19 year old me writing these songs. And like all of the things that I'm still exploring and talking about in music now, I was sprinkling that in then. And I didn't realize it. Like there's like little lines, like one or two lines in there of like total existential dread or total, like, you know, yeah. Just like the things that I'm, the, the topics I'm like obsessed with at this point. And it's funny to, to see the lyrical bridge between then and, and now and the little visual things that I'm still using and trying to tie back into it. But uh, yeah, that solo record was definitely the first time I, I was totally vulnerable when it came to music. Uh, and that was a, an interesting experience. And where like now that you have that reflection from 10 years ago till now, like, um, are you actively trying to say anything else that you used to not say or give a part of yourself or it's really just about uh, honing the craft of like the thing that you specifically do now? Yeah, I think I just became more comfortable being myself within songwriting. Um, When we were kids, like it was just like, we want to play as fast as possible and as loud as possible and obnoxious as possible. And I didn't know how to sing. The only reason I was the singer was because I could yell the loudest over the PA. <laughs> like, that's the thing. Like, people didn't realize, like, they're like, why, why do you sing like you're, like, like shredding, like, cheese grater vocal cords? And I'm like, because that's how I, like, I, I could not hit a note without projecting that insanely because we were in a tiny closet of a room yeah, with, a, sure. with an old PA that you could only hear it when I yelled that loud. And that's why, so, so when we were kids, like we was less about the songwriting and the structure and the melody and more of like, yo, how heavy and fast are we going here? That's really and, funny. I had, I had the same exact thing happen to me and, you know, I've played with you a ton of times and I know when it's, it's not that, uh, fill, you know, full of a room that you're going to get off the mic and you're going to be louder than everybody else in the room. Like you have that, natural projection um and and it's funny to learn where it comes from 
And then I've been asked sometimes, like, why do you hit your drums so hard? And it was the exact same scenario is because I was like 12 in my first band, literally physically. I was like nine. I was not an advanced 12 year old. You know what I mean? I was like the other way. And both of them had these like giant 5150 full stacks. And I had these tiny little like broken sticks and like shit drums with heads. I never changed. I literally had a egg crate lining my drums at that time because I didn't know how to tune and get ring away. Um, So I just learned how to like, they just were like, play louder, play louder, play louder. And I just got conditioned to, to play loud. So what, what do you think like 30, 30 to 40 is going to bring for you in songwriting and like, which kind of avenues do you maybe want to explore that you haven't been down yet? I'm just hoping it gets weirder. Just hoping <laughs> right. to, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to push it and it gets weirder and the more comfortable I am with just my ability as a songwriter that I can just allow myself to experiment and feel comfortable putting that into the world. Yeah. Um, which I think it's, it's getting there. It's pretty, I'm pretty excited about the future of, uh, music to come. You're but, more, uh, more comfortable flying that freak flag a little bit. I am. I just don't care anymore. <laughs> right. You know, like I do. I <laughs> Brad definitely knows. Listen, if I try to get Brad to care about something, it's really hard. (sighs) Come on. I (laughs) care. He's like, ah, fuck it. You know? Brad cares. He does. He cares in his own way. Um, (laughs) So I know you have a dream, uh, a dream of one day being a tiki bar owner. (laughs) Right? Like, yeah. yeah. Um, So I have have three, a three part question. Okay. So I want to know what exactly the vibe of this tiki bar is and where it is and how it looks like in your dream scenario. Mm-hmm. And then also in this dream scenario, the tiki bar is open and you can have margaritas or margs as you like to call them with mm-hmm. three people that are living and three people that are dead. Whoa. Lay this out for me. I want your, you're basically I died and went to heaven tiki bar scenario that I know that I know you've been thinking about for a while. This is pretty awesome. Uh, tiki bar scenario close to the beach in a sleepier town like a Bradley Beach. Okay. Um, so you don't want like the summer summer crazy crowd. You want like a local crowd. Yeah, I want a local, but with access enough to where like traveling people who have heard of it off the path stumble in okay i don't want i don't want it to be like a raging like dj's crowd ever. yeah gotcha um so no matter what time of day is it feels like it's three o'clock in the morning in there <laughs> okay dark your eyes have to adjust when you walk in okay Just only like surf music and old like dead kennedy songs on the radio and like psol and shit like that uh, perfect i'm there yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> have to have a good good bartender too that like know the old school tiki shit. Like, sure, can like tell it. Tell, so basically, I walked into this place in Vegas once, Frankie's Tiki Room. I just want to, I want to die at that place. <laughs> it's one of the best places I've ever been. It shares a parking lot with a gas station. It is twenty four hours been there for a long time and you when you walk into it you just feel like you step into a different place you have no idea you're 
off the strip in Vegas. You have no idea where you are. And it just feels awesome. And so that's the kind of vibe I'm going for. Like that old school, like, like all the, the hanging lights and everything. And the, the, what do you call it? Like the old surf movies playing on like beat up TVs. Then I want to have, I do making tacos in the back, which Alex from Walk the Plank always says he wants to do. He wants to come up and work in the bar and make tacos. <laughs> He'd be great in that job. <laughs> so we'll be slinging tacos in the back, maybe like a little speakeasy situation with the taco joint. Okay. Um. Yeah, that's like the dream. Like Are we talking like uh, like that straw thatching on the roof over the bar, like the... You know, the old, like, tiki heads and stuff like that. Are you going that far in to the to oh. the aesthetic? Yeah, custom tiki glasses with my dog on them. <laughs> we'll have a thing called Barktender of the Month where you submit, you submit pictures of your dogs, you know, like ripping tiki drinks. Oh, okay. Dude, I'm so yeah. there. I've always... I've always lamented the absence of a real tiki bar anywhere yeah, in New York City. Yeah. I mean, there's like these kind of yeah. fake pop-ups every now and then. That yeah, yeah there's that one. Nobody yeah. ever really pulls it off. And I've always, you like you just described to me, like, exactly, I could live there. I would fully yeah. become a raging alcoholic just so that I could live there after dark. <laughs> but here, I have, a, I have one question for you regarding that. So what is... What is your favorite adult uh, tiki bar drink? What would you, what would you, what would you make me as a, as as not a twenty two year old girl? Um. So when I went to Frankie's the first time, and this was the thing that made me fall in love with the whole tiki vibe in general, was I opened the menu and I'm like, I have no idea what any of this is. It's like <laughs> rums I've never heard of. Right. I'm not a I'm not a rum guy. I'm like tequila gin anything clear that i'm not going to throw up later i'm good so i'm in vegas and i'm clearly probably already half in the bag and i'm in this place and it's like such a mix where it's like we probably were the youngest people in there and there's just like older heads that you know have been there forever some people stumbling in the mix was so big people that were regulars people that never been there and the bartender comes up and sees me confused and he's like he's like what do you usually drink at a bar Okay, and I'm like, I'm like tequila gin or vodka. He goes, you're getting a fog cutter. <laughs> fog so he cutter. turns, he turns around and makes that, and it was one of the best drinks I've ever had in my life. Do you remember what and was, was in like, it? A fog. I have a book somewhere with what it is, but <laughs> okay. it's like, it's definitely gin and rum, I believe. And some other shit. There's a lot of shit. It's like a, it's like the opposite of a zombie. Like it's one of the heavier ones. Mm. Um, and I loved, I was like, yo, I had two of them. My face was red. I was warm. <laughs> and I was like, this guy just like knew what to do. And he was doing that all. I'd be like, yo, so what about this? And, and he would, he would just kind of like show me different things and what the different drinks were. And I was like, this whole thing is cool. And in Jersey, there's like a couple quote unquote tiki bars, but it's like, they just make a Mai Tai and that's it. Yeah. And then the rest is regular bar drinks. And you're like, all right. So, so Jared, I just found a recipe for a fog cutter and it me. looks like you were dealing with ice, rum, gin, brandy, orange juice, lemon juice, a little bit of sherry and uh, oh, yeah, some sherry. almond flavored syrup. 
I think that was a, uh, yeah, that must have been it. That sounds great. <laughs> oh, it's great. It's I would so cut good. the fog. <laughs> and I've never, I've never had like drinks that tasted that good at a bar, you know? And yeah. it's a, a lot of it is the, the ability to keep fresh ingredients. Like all that juice goes bad. So, Oh my God. These names are so good for tiki bar drinks. Yeah, dude. The suffering bastard, the Navy grog, the test pilot, the painkiller, the Mai Tai. Oh my God, dude. This now I want to go to this bar too. So you have your first two customers. Um, all right. I love it. So give me the follow up. you the tiki bar is open. It's everything you need and want. Mm -hmm. Three people living, three people dead walk through the door the first night that you get to have a drink with who's sitting at your table this is tough i think dead it might start easier to start with dead where i would do <laughs> amy winehouse okay good i would do tom petty uh-huh yeah. Don't go too deep, like King Toot and Common or something, you know? <laughs> no, nah, I don't care about any of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't. Uh, like, part of me would go to, like, to, like, a biggie or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, fun. Sure. But I might... You I'm, get a I'm, fog I'm cutter and biggie. Sure I'm touching all music here, and that's the problem, because, like, it's what's in my head, like, what I'm thinking about. Yeah. I might... Might think something. If I'm, we're going live, DiCaprio is on the top. Okay. 100%. Be fun to have a drink with. Right? Sure. Uh, Dennis Rodman, maybe? <laughs> okay. Imagine that shit at the Tiki Bar? I can, yeah. <laughs> Be pretty wild. I mean, just even Leo and Dennis at the same table. And get into some funky stuff, those two. They both party. That's oh, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> living. There's, there's good amount of living. I feel like FCC doesn't drink anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, you might need a baseball player. Don't you get Mickey, Mickey Mantle for your dead list? That guy liked to throw him down. I mean, he was more of a Miller High Life kind of guy, but, you know. I like so tight. Get into um, it. Maybe like a Bourdain, I think I, I would uh, sit with. Yeah, that'd be great. Someone like that. I'm trying to think of like the deaths over the years that have kind of like fucked me up a little where I'm like that. So you got Winehouse, Petty, Bourdain, Leo, Dennis Rodman. This is a fun, a fun dinner. So you need one more living person to compliment this year. Maybe Patty Smith. Oh mm. man, good one. I'm there. Brad, how much would you spend to go to that dinner? I'd be there. I'd love to be there. <laughs> that's it's fun, a man. group of personalities, that's for sure. Yeah, oh, I love you it. Just sit I love there and it. Listen. Right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to your tiki bar, Bert? Jared. That sounds great. Who would talk? I mean. I think, you know, right off the bat in that group, you might have some strange classes. Like, I could see, like, Amy Winehouse and Dennis Rodman just splitting after, like, half an hour. 
<laughs> and just you know going and getting into some wild ass shit in the city or something. You know, things that are beyond us. You know, those yeah. are some those are some next level partiers there. <laughs> I think he could get Petty to sit in there all night. I don't know how much of a drinker he was. I don't either. But that's great, man. Well, I hope one day this all works out for you and you get your tiki bar. I appreciate that. And I look forward to having you both. Oh, oh yeah. I'll be there. I will I'll definitely be there. be there. First drink is the fog cutter. I'm going for it. Um, First one's on me. Thanks, pal. So mm-hmm. something I need need to get from you. I don't know if you're going to want to talk about it much, but you've been with the same woman for a very long time. You've been mm-hmm. in a good, committed relationship for how many years? Like, what are you up to? 13. 13 years. Mm-hmm. So, what's the, uh, do you have any love advice for, like, someone getting into it to, to keep something together? I know you guys have seen a lot of shit together, been through a lot of ups and downs together. So, well, what's something that you could, you could, throw to a young person's uh, intellect to keep a relationship happy and healthy? Um, One of the things I was actually thinking about this week um, is the ability to be present in crisis. Mm. And I think everyone handles crisis and like really high stress life events differently. And that's a given you're not, no one's going to handle it the same. But I think in like a partnership, being there with no questions asked and just being present and willing to to do anything in that scenario Mm. is a massive part of relationships that I've watched with people that it's like a binding element. Mm. And when someone's going through a traumatic or like an extreme life event that you know that that moment changes their life for the few, whether it's a death in the family or something, something that happens with their own health or something, just being there and the other person knowing that no matter what you'll do, whatever it takes to get through that situation, I think goes, it it builds this foundation that you can't break it. Like knowing that this person is there at the hardest, lowest moment of whatever you're, you're dealing with. Um, and it's down to go through it, even if it's, what's up? No, no, continue. Yeah. Down to go through it. And just like, like, like if you're like, yo, I just need to like go murder this person. They're like, yeah, cool. Where's the gun? Like, like (laughs) no, no question about it. Um, and then when you get, when you get to the other end of it, you realize like you couldn't have done it without that person. And even if it's not saying anything, just being there, being physically present, um, for that really brutal shit, that like mental stuff. Um, I think that that can like bond through almost anything. If you can get through like some of the crazy shit that life that every one of us has to deal with at some point, you know, um, I think that's a big part of, of our relationship. At least it's just like that knowing that no matter what the worst, worst, worst day that could possibly happen, that, we have each other's backs, no, even if it's just to sit there and say nothing or to go sure. out and do the craziest thing. Um, Does any of that have to do with like, I know it's some people's instinct in a crisis situation to like fix it or solve it or find a way to solve it for the other person. Uh, 
And that's not always what people probably need from you. So Mm -hmm. is part of that just kind of taking that step back too and making sure you're just being exactly what that person needs at that time and not, and kind of maybe pressing down your own instincts as far as how to like fix the situation or something. Yeah, I agree with that. I think being there with, for the person before you, uh, taking charge of it is the most important, you know? Right. Um, I think like getting someone through a traumatic experience or getting someone through like one of those huge hurdles, uh, is way more important than like you figuring it out yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Just that realizing it's not, it doesn't have to be about you constantly. Um, another thing I would say is, uh, get two blankets, get two comforters. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Now that is good advice. There is nothing wrong with having two comforters. I listen, is there anything even wrong with having two beds? You know, they used to do it not that long ago. Like we we were just talking about it recently. We'd be like, how, how bad is that? Really? Well, my cousin claims two bathrooms is essential for a long relationship. Two bathrooms. Two bathrooms. That. Okay. I can believe that. that. When did you figure out two blankets? Was there a tipping point? I think it just kind of like, I think it slowly just happened. Like either she, she's a blanket stealer <laughs> and I go to bed like in the middle of the night. Right. So sometimes like when I go to bed, she'll wake up from her alarm 15 minutes after so her waking up before that is pretty pretty annoying so at some point i think i just i think i just dragged the second blanket in there i think it was me and we didn't even realize it we were like oh this is pretty tight like you didn't wake me up getting into bed i had a blanket the whole time perfect yeah that's great you know that i love that that's good good sound pieces of advice not totally based on philosophy but just more this happens. This is what you got to do. I like advice like that. Yeah, um, that one worked. Yeah, that's good, man. So I heard just yesterday that you have an Uncle Manicotti mm-hmm. or an Uncle Manigut that they call the gut. This is a real thing? Yeah, the gut. I need you to be on wax confirming the fact that you have an Uncle Manicotti. <laughs> Uncle Manicotti, call him the gut. <laughs> What's his real name? This is this can't be someone actually named Manicotti Hart, huh? Well, he's my grandma's cousin. Okay, but he's not really an uncle. Okay. We call everyone grew up, grew up calling him an uncle. Was he a big? Uh, ma- was he a big man? He's thick. Uh, he's, he's he's you know <laughs> he's not like huge, he's average, but like a bit thicker dude. I honestly don't know how. It's just it's his last name. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. All right. I just had to make sure. I heard it was conjecture, and I didn't know if you were fucking with me or not when we were doing it. So I needed you on wax to confirm that you have an Uncle Manicotti. Look, I I think I once tried to get you to believe that Brett and Owen Hart were my cousins. (laughs) I mean, listen, I did, you know, I usually am not Googling your name in a normal context, and I had to Google your name a number of times yesterday. There's a lot of Jared Hart's out there doing a lot of different shit. You have a uh, a pretty common name. There's even somebody in our music world with your same name. He's like a program director for radio stations and stuff. So, oh, actually, I might just found something for you. 
you want to get played on the radio, you can just con yourself as this guy. You know, <laughs> I'm into that. You want to hear a really crazy story about me uh, corresponding with someone with the same name this week? No. Yes, I'd like to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I've been really patient with arguing with conservative trolls on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, like total MAGA, like evangelicals and everything. Yeah. So I've really refrained. I've been holding it in unless I have like a really smart and funny quick thing to say where I can just drop it and leave. Right. Uh, so then the, the rally happens the other night and I'm on Twitter and Tom Petty releases a statement. His family releases a statement about them not using right. Don't Back Down. Yeah. So now I'm heated. I'm like revved up. And I'm like, all right, here comes the comment section. I start refreshing it. Yeah, right. And I'm like, I'm like, I will defend TP's honor <laughs> to death. I'm like, this is the hill I'm going to die on now, right? <laughs> sure. So I start going in. <laughs> and I'm like, you went in head first. I, I went in, I ripped this dude, boom, ripped this dude, boom, going back and forth. <clears throat> and so throughout the night, I'm like getting some response back and everything. And someone sends me a screenshot of it, and there's another Jared Hart doing the same thing to other people. Oh. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, shit. So I comment on it, and I was like, yo, from one Jared Hart to another, respect. <laughs> <laughs> This is on the TP Twitter. So then people start chiming into that, being like, this is funny. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, and another musician to boot. I'm like, really? So I'm like, yo, let me hear some tunes. Send yeah. me a link. So he comes back and he's like, I actually played a socially distant show tonight. Here's the link to the live feed. What? And I was like, wow, great. So then people are like, this is so wholesome. People are sending the Spider-Man gif of like them pointing at each other. <laughs> so... I listened to it, and he sounds good. Did we just become best friends? We definitely didn't. Yeah. He didn't even follow me back on Twitter. Oh. So, which I, I was like, come on, man. Solidarity here. Yeah. Um, but I listened to it, and his wife, him and his wife sound great. Great harmonies. What? Very cool, and he's from Gainesville. It's a Jared Hart from Gainesville? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So we had this back and forth, and I had I had a moment where I sat there, and I was like, Twitter is, gonna, is the wildest fucking thing in the world right it's the, the most unifying and ununifying place in the world right and i mean just the fact that anybody a common human anybody with no connection to the world one follower can tweet something into the void to the president of the united states and he can see it right and or or to the biggest like whoever celebrities you want you can be in their pocket as much as someone in their phone book yeah. But also, I can just scroll through and go, oh, this dude has my name. What's up, bud? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's the most bizarre thing, I think, that's been invented, personally. Oh, yeah. I, I think they're going to spend, like, the next literal, like, 50 years trying to figure out what this is currently doing to our brain's sense of communication, sense of the world. It's uh, it's totally putting everything on its ear. That's a fact. Yeah, but Jared Hart from Gainesville. I'm a little disappointed in the end of the story. I was really hoping you'd make a friend out of this. 
I was too. I was like, you know what? Maybe like we'll do a Tom Petty cover together, put a split out or something. Yeah. Yeah. If anyone's listening to this, why don't we get on at Jared Hart, that guy, a little bit? I might tweet him actually after this. Yeah, hit him up. We'll call it Heart to Heart. I'll put it out on Mount <laughs> yeah. Records. Oh, you already, oh, you already had the time. You must have been disappointed because I can see you, you, your, your wheels are turning a little bit with this. <laughs> I mean, it's a great story for a press release, you know? Yeah. Look, I saw dollar bills everywhere. All right, guys, I just saw an opportunity. I think you guys should do a you should do a Tom Petty cover band for for like charity. That would be yeah. Go. Yeah. Do we call it the heart? Well, we'll, we'll hit we'll we'll hit them up. I don't know. All right. They, maybe at least half a dozen people who listen to this can get on him, and he's going to be like, you know, I really should have followed back the other Jared. My sense of humanity is diminishing a little bit, so maybe this will work. Maybe this will work. A little unity, bud. Come on. So, last thing we got to we got to talk a tiny bit of baseball. Are you excited okay. to have sixty Yankees games this year? Even without even without beer and garlic fries, it feels really weird. Yeah, especially the whole back and forth for the last like month. Yeah, of, I feel like with every false announcement, it just made me more sour on it. Right, but I'm gonna watch it. You know, like I'm <laughs> gonna I'm gonna be excited. I'm not excited for the Yankees to win and then everybody be saying, "Oh, it's just a 60 game season." Oh. It doesn't count. It doesn't count because you know they're gonna win. <laughs> it's gonna happen. I did think that we were getting ten games with the Mets when they first said that they right. were the way that the, it yeah. was gonna get split up with that they would meet their division rival or whatever, like their East versus East. You're right. Um, um, but it looks even better. We're probably gonna get ten games with the Orioles. So yeah, that actually, I like that. actually works out for us in some ways. But what do you think about I these think, extra rules, like the NL having a DH, uh, extra inning start, and there's going to be a base runner on second base to try to uh, I get the game? That. You hate that stuff. So you wanted oh to God. keep I, like traditional baseball rules in place even during the 60 game season? Yeah, I, I I'm a fan of the universal DH. I just don't like seeing pitchers look like they've never swung a bat before. Yeah. Um, Especially, like, I've listened to so many of those podcasts with, like, CC and other pitchers talking. And, like, at this point, kids don't pick up a bat until they get right, to, like, right. the, the, the majors. So it feels really unsafe for me to one extent. And sure. it just, like, watching, like, when they cut to the dugout and they're laughing at the swing, you to like, the tanks is taking swings. <laughs> it's, and it's like, it's like, come on, man. This is a professional athlete getting paid millions of dollars. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Why you got to take them down like that? I get the strategy of it. I respect both sides of it, but I just personally don't need to see like a waste of an out. Yeah, sure. The, run- the runner on second feels so dirty to me. Dirty. It just what? What is that? Like extra baseball? Like I love like free baseball, extra innings. I I know, but when you're trying to fit an 160 game season down to 60 games you know when you don't know how many of your players are going to fall down and have to back out anyway because they're going to get sick and this i mean i'm kind of into it that's where i'm like the same logic as you 
where the 60-game season is not really going to be taken seriously in the record books. It's kind of going to be an asterisk World Series. So yeah. in that case, I kind of want to just see, like, some weird shit. Baseball's kind of been tinkering with some ideas for years that they've been afraid to do because they're antiquated and their fans, you know, demand the purity from the game. As you know, we've talked a lot about this. I don't mm-hmm. demand the purity from the game and I think it's currently a little boring and going to die if uh, they don't add a little life to it. So I'm kind of into this stuff. I think I think for the 60-game year, I want them to try out every stupid idea they've had and see what actually works and what's actually fun and not. When else are you going to have that opportunity, you know? Yeah, I, I mean, that perspective is interesting. And I was more looking at it from the sense of you already have a season that's the strategy is completely different. You know, the, the, the way that the, you go on a, a, a two and eight slump, you're, you're screwed. Right. So yeah. your rotation is important, everything about it. Um, so why would you add all this extra shit to make it even more watered down? Sure. That was, that's the way I've been looking at it. Um, I would take it a step that's... further. Metal bats, uh, oh. Let's put God, like let's put like a third a third baseman goalie who just sits there with pads and tries to block base runners from getting <laughs> around third base. Like let's just get fucking crazy. How about it, you're man. allowed to throw the ball at the runner like in kickball? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Like peg like them. Or if someone goes out of the base paths, you do it like that game chicken, you make them stand against the wall and they got to take a ball to the back. Something fun like that. I don't know. Let's yeah. just let it rip, Astros. you know? Astros have to hit golf balls. Yeah, they're all cheating anyway. Let's, let's just have yeah. fun with it, you know? <laughs> uh, Sorry, Jared. I know you're a Puritan for these things. You know what? I'm only pure in, like, the, the nine innings of it. Like, everything else, I think, should change and open up. Like, I think the fact that the MLB does not let players be individuals drives me insane yeah sure and i think that that's the main thing manford run they're all running around looking for these things like the pitch clock and the runner on second all these things to make fans enjoy the game more but you have it already yeah you have these extremely lovable players who are unique to the sport yeah dude the fact that no one knows anything about aaron judge except that he's a big dude who rakes and he's from california like why don't we know anything? What what is he like? What is it like? What's going on? I mean, even a step further, Mike Trout is arguably, you know, a not, not, you know, he's arguably now already with his numbers, you know, let's not talk about world series cause he's never came near one, but I mean, he's yep. getting up there where he could have a career arc where he winds up being one of the best five, 10 players in the history of baseball. And, uh, if you ask even like a novice, baseball fan who Mike Trout is, they just think he's like, yeah, he's a good player. Who's he play for? How horrible is that? Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically like some version of LeBron James or Michael Jordan or something like that. Yeah. And if you lined them up with, with five other baseball players, you, they probably, the average person probably isn't picking them out on the street. But he's also just so nice. He just has that like vanilla Captain America thing going on where you're never going to get Mike Trout to say anything even remotely interesting. And this is where I think they need to train these guys a different way when they're younger players because he's been so conditioned his whole life to say nothing. 
You know, yeah. the Derek Jeter school, you know, where you, you you put together seven sentences that mean nothing. And that way yeah. you'll never be controversial and never basically bother anyone, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. baseball has been lacking that kind of like fire from its stars for so long. That's why even as hard as it is to get behind a guy like Bryce Harper, I'm fully behind Bryce yeah. Harper just because bring the fun yeah. back, baby, you know, flip that back. Yeah. Let's get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what, exactly. And there's like, you know, Tim Anderson has been yeah awesome to watch sure. and just his presence on and off the field, like interaction Kutch is like so good at all that stuff. And it becomes these people that like you, you invest in their, in their yeah, personality. Of course. You, you, you have players that you like just because, I mean, the whole thing in the World Series with Soto and everything, the back and forth, how cool, like, yeah. how cool is that? Like, it's great to see a little personality come out, a little, a little edge. And I think that was one of the craziest things about watching The Last Dance was seeing how much of this, these guys' personalities that they allowed the audience to see. Yeah. And it was totally raw, like, so raw. Every, it was out there. Every game everyone on the court knew where everyone was. That's right. That's right. And I, if baseball just had a fraction of that, I think you would have so many more people be into it. I mean, there's a, and the one other option is just taking all my rules, my new rules and putting them in place, which I think will work just yeah. fine. Yeah. I, th- I think you've had the best ideas out of any that I've seen. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. I'd love to get like yeah. some sort of consulting role with the MLB. If anyone's listening. Go ahead and give me that job. Um, You'd be great at it. (laughs) Well, thanks, Jared. You talked to us for a long time. I appreciate it. Anything you want to anything you want to add or finish with? Uh, I would say for everyone to stay safe and please still wear a goddamn mask (laughs) and please vote and please read a book or two or or talk to some people during this time and. If you got some money, put it in some good places. And if you're able, go to a protest and wear a fucking mask and uh, just take care of people, please. I love it. it. And speaking of which, Mercy Union just put up a fundraiser shirt this week that Mm -hmm. Jared and a great artist, Cassie Potish, is that how you pronounce her last name, Uh, put together and all the uh, money is going towards a bail fund and also a great community garden project in newark so if anyone's got a few extra dollars laying around you know hit up the mercy union sites and grab one of those all the money is going to a great place oh yeah hey thanks jared listen we got through this whole thing too without like pushing our own band for an hour and a half that was pretty good (laughs) we'll get that we'll do that in the intro awful we've always been awful promoters you know I'm not good at the hard sell. I know. We'd rather just sit in basements making songs. It doesn't, you know, doesn't always bode too well, but. (laughs) No, I've always heard it's ABC, always be closing. Yeah. I'm like, yo, it could stay open. We didn't didn't watch enough Glengarry Glenn Ross. (laughs) All right. Well, yeah, thanks, Jared. I'll talk to you soon, bud. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. All right. See you. Thanks. That was fun. That made me miss like a cold beer and some garlic cheese fries at Yankee Stadium. Mm. Dude, I can I can guarantee that I will be 
I'll be. Ta- I was thinking that I could take a bike trip to Bayonne. I could take the ferry over to Staten Island. Yeah, and and then just cruise over there because I'm totally intrigued now, and it's a perfect kind of distance to do to go to. It is a really funky place. It is. It's honestly super unique. I mean, I, I didn't talk about it in the show, but it was. It, it's like also one of those towns. It had the classic New Jersey thing, and I don't know if this was like a national phenomenon or not, but, you know, after some of the riots and the civil rights movement in the 60s, there was this crazy phenomenon basically called white flight from, like, every city in New Jersey, you know, where, like, just white people flee to the suburbs, and it never really changed. Right. Like, it's still really segregated in New Jersey where... You know, the cities are not white at all and the suburbs are almost like, you know, fucking vanilla white where like that whole systematic breakdown that happened there um, is still going on. Bayonne, in a strange way, like I think almost like made it through it. Right. Where like it has like it's like Jared said, it's old Polish population that didn't leave. It's old Italian and Irish populations that didn't leave. I mean, some did. And then, you know, this mix of like new immigrant cultures and black culture that like mixed in with Bayonne. And it really did become like one of the few integrated kind of like cities that I've ever seen, especially in New Jersey. Um Which just gives it, yeah, just this really unique and kind of cool vibe. And even though it's like a hard place to live, as Jared alluded, like it's not easy to get to. It is not easy to get off. Right. You know, if Jared even wants to just come to Jersey City and have practice, he's like in for a 30 minute drive, you know, Um, and it's literally the next town over. You're kind of marooned out there. Right. (laughs) So it does. It leads to this really just interesting thing about that town you could really dig deeply into that town and find a lot i think all right i like it yeah so if anyone wants to google bayonne new jersey like i said i hadn't heard of it until the not a surf popular video you know oh yeah i I always kind of knew where it was i just didn't had no i didn't had no idea there was so many people living there i thought it was just industry and yeah a couple little like whatever so we should get like a bayonne tourism something right now (laughs) We just got a lot of people to go there. A little plug. See if we can get a lot of ad Uh, ad money. I love that pink flamingo story, though. Oh, my goodness. That was funny. (laughs) That was funny. But Jared's easy to find. He's uh, on Twitter. He's he's J underscore heart 201. Of course, 201. Always repping. On Instagram, he's just J heart 201. And then the Mercy Union Band is Mercy Union Band on Twitter and just Mercy Union on Instagram. And, uh, yeah, like I said, we just put out a, um, uh, a shirt, a justice for George shirt that, uh, all the proceeds are going to be going to, um, a great community garden we found in Newark and, uh, in one of the bail funds and, uh, yeah, just trying to do a little, I saw that shirt. It looks good. Thanks. It's a nice design. Yeah. Yeah. Cassie is great. She's like. Uh, an artist that Jared became connected with that I think just has a really cool eye and does a lot of our stuff. Cassie Potish. Um, yeah, but I was uh, psyched that Jared came on. I hope we didn't talk too much Yankees at the end. I know you warned me <laughs> the going off track gonna, crowd is not a baseball crowd. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it out there right now because I was thinking about this. 
Um, if any of you creative fans out there want to make a, a little jingle for sports warning, ah. <laughs> I promise I'll drop it in. <laughs> That's awesome. It'll definitely keep coming up. You know, I can't not. It's hard not to, literally. It's I become, love it, Benny. It's, it's you, become man. my social lubrication trick. It's from touring. You know, it's like when I play some venue in Kansas City and some guy just comes out drunk and just asks me like a wildly inappropriate question about myself or my life. And quickly I just go, yeah, yeah. Um, Royals look good this year, huh? <laughs> and all of a sudden I get this guy talking about Lorenzo Kane and, you know, how he doesn't hit for enough power and shit. And yeah, it's your, I'd much rather talk about that than whatever the fuck he wanted to your, talk about. It's your weather talk. It's fun. You, it. you even got me in on it, man. I, I chimed in, so it's fun. It was good. <laughs> it didn't go on for too long. Listen, <laughs> it's, it's, there's a cultural element to everything. You I know? guess we should a big one in sports. We should come up with a safe word that I can say when they go they go too long. You know, just like pull your ear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's the sports safe word? I don't know. What you just say like you know, like uh, timeout. Benny, home run, home run. It's too, timeout's too <laughs> obvious. We'll just have to yeah. come up with a player's name. Oh, uh, okay. Did you have you know growing up in a. Uh, in New England in like the 1940s, where you like a Ted, <laughs> Ted Williams fan or something? Or I was not a big baseball guy. I mean, I grew up in Massachusetts, and everybody was you know Red Sox fans. Of course, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't. I wasn't a baseball guy. I played a little little league, and that was it. The whole Red Sox thing changed after they won. Yeah, they just became some version of the Yankees after. Are, they used to. Ha- they used to have that wor- weird underdog cred where they could always push themselves as the as the underdog and feel good and feel that every other team was like the imperialist and they just quickly turned into them real fast they not a big fan of the fans either no i mean when i was you know playing in bands back in the day there was a bunch of venues that were right across from the stadium and right Scary, the, scary little punk rockers unloading the van into venue as fast as possible while all these fucking Irish meatheads are like <laughs> raging down the sidewalk. And I'm an Irish meathead, by the way, so I can say that. Thank yes, you. you're allowed. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's where the uh, the House of Blues Boston is now is literally on Lansdowne Street, yeah. like right across from everything. So yeah, um, there was like so, four yeah. venues on that street back in the oh, like, okay. early nineties, and yeah, and it was it, was, it wasn't as corporate. Then. There, was, there was Lansdowne Street was one of them. There was mm-hmm. another big one that I can't remember now, but yeah, there was a bunch of venues. And there was a couple of cool, cool little ones too, but uh, yeah. I mean, it's a great. I can't take away like you know I've spent a lot of time now across from that stadium. We've played that House of Blues a few times, and. Uh, I don't know, like, I do appreciate it as, you know, I, I watch them tear down the old Yankee Stadium and build kind of a new corporate palace. And even as, like, such a big Yankees fan, I really do like City Field, where the Mets play, more than a new Yankee Stadium. It feels like a baseball park. It right. feels like a day out at the park. Yankee Stadium feels a bit like a giant silver mall. Yeah. You know? Um so I like that Fenway is just one of those old remaining stadiums that's never going to change. It's got the green monster and the whole, you know, if you play left field in Boston, you need to learn how to play it in like a totally different way. 
And I, I appreciate that historical element of it. And uh, yeah, I can get behind that. But but it has historically antiquated fans, as you said. Yeah. And there's just story after story of uh, black athletes playing in Boston and just being berated more than any other city. So that's not something that's just made up or conjecture. Like it's extremely real. Oh, it's a very and, it, and, very the, and there are players who literally will not sign to a Boston team because of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they got to get their shit together. That's uh, work it out, why, Boston. Yeah, that's why <laughs> Kyrie Irving came to New York. It's mine now. Um, but yeah, thanks again to Jared for all this. We have any uh, any money we're gonna ask for now? Well, of course, our uh, our Patreon account is up and running, and uh, and we just got a, a new patron of course i didn't write it down but uh we're getting them every day thank you so much you are loved um yes but it's patreon.com slash going off track we've got a couple of tiers there you can pick one if you feel comfortable with it um if you want to just throw us a tip because you liked an episode um it's venmo.com slash off track you know you can leave a little note too, like you know Less baseball. Here's ten bucks. <laughs> Might <Okay>. happen. <laughs> so that's what we need. We need someone to make the baseballs come and jingle, and then we need our safe word too. So if anyone can help us get those together, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> but um, yeah, thanks to everybody who's been very generous so far. It's really helpful. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. And hit us up with anything, suggestions for guests. Benny, you talk too much. <laughs> Get that Jersey accent out of your face. I don't know. Whatever you want to say. And then also on the Patreon soon, I think we'll we'll get into these uh, little chats. Maybe I'll jump in like once a week and talk to everyone and get some feedback. We also have the bonus content, uh, you know, me interviewing Sean at his house, uh, you know, last year before we did the proper bummer quarantine interview. Yeah, it's, that's a good interview. I should get that up this week. Yeah, we'll do it. We talk a lot about Arby's and masculinity. <laughs> All right, this is a long one. Let's wrap it up. Okay. Benny. See you, Brad. Thanks for listening, everyone. I appreciate it. the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTER Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.